This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Nick Morris is the Global Director of PR and Communications at Nextthink. He has held senior positions at Dropbox, Microsoft and Oracle. He's an experienced communications consultant specialised in PR and media relations, particularly with business, national, broadcast and IT trade media. His experience has been predominantly in the IT sector, but he is a specialist in corporate business-to-business consumer and trade communications. Nick Morris, welcome to ClientSide. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. Absolute pleasure speaking to you. You started your career as an account executive at Harvard Public Relations in 1995, when nobody really wanted to be in PR at that time. How did you start your career in the industry? Uh, really by accident. And, and most people I know in PR sort of fell into it rather than had it as a childhood dream. Um, I was leaving university. I did a business degree. Uh, thankfully, at that time, uh, and especially with a vocational degree like that, most people left uh, with, with jobs to go to. Uh, and I'd applied to a few things. Um, I wanted to go into magazine publishing, of all things, uh, and thankfully that that actually didn't uh, that didn't come off. Yeah. And I contacted someone that I knew. I'd done a two week work placement with them before, and I said, could I possibly do another couple of weeks? And I stayed for two years, uh, hmm. and that was my that was the beginning of my career in PR. But most people I know fall into PR and and don't have it as a lifelong dream. Hmm. In the pre-interview, you said that you've moved to many agencies. You've you also sort of started your own agency as well. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But in the early part of your career, you worked at sort of many agencies. And versus some of your other colleagues that who spent a longer period of their career in one agency or with one company, yeah. which strategy do you think ultimately turned out to be the best for your career? I think I still don't know. Uh, I thought in the early part of my career that you did a job for two years and then you moved on. And and the, the challenging bit with that is that your first few months you're bedding in and you're trying to work out, you know, your your job, your name, your rank, your title, everything mm. else. Your last few months you're probably trying to get out. Mm. So actually in a two-year job you're, you're giving what may be a good 18 months. Interesting. Uh, and... Um, and I thought that to progress, you needed to move on. Um, actually, you know, it, it's hard to get promoted within uh, within a job, really hard. And, and very often making a move out to move up or, you know, a sort of diagonal sideways move um, may be strategically a good thing to do. But I think you then you get different kinds of experiences, but you might get less um depth you might get less sort of really under the skin of an organization hmm. uh, so you have to start again every time and and you know I, I don't know what the answer is but uh there's a there's a, a woman that that joined harvard uh i think a week or two after me and and she and i have stayed friends um 20 something years later hmm. uh, and our careers i think have sort of gone in different ways and then almost come back to similar places. So we almost end up in the same place, but our journey to get there has been quite different. Mm. She stayed at Harvard for many years, mm. may say that she had less experiences of, of other worlds and other agencies. Um, I had different experiences, but, you know, as I said, less kind of depth and real kind of deep understanding of, um, of, of that agency that I was working with. Fast forward a few years and you become an account director at Byte Communications in 1999. Uh, you've got a lot of agency experience, as we touched on, and you had a lot of success there. But you said that you actually fell out of love with the agency model. Discuss. Yeah. Um, so Byte was an amazing place. And, and those with uh, long memories back to kind of the late 1990s and the early 2000s, um, Byte was a really hot property it was it was the tech agency to work at and and you know when you stay somewhere for seven years it's it's a great experience um my role kept changing uh i kept progressing through the agency that was all really exciting um i i found that the further up and you know this is kind of obvious but the further up an agency you go the less pr work that you do mm. the more 
new business, sales, HR, marketing, everything else, running the business that you take on, and the less of actually doing the work. And and two things. Number one, I still wanted to do the work, and and I that was kind of what I what I loved about PR and, and managing people and, you know, taking on additional responsibilities was great, but I didn't want to lose that. Mm. And then the second thing was, and why I sort of fell out with a model was because I felt like, um, this is going to sound dramatic, but we were being, uh, maybe disingenuous with clients in that mm. the senior guys would go in and, and sell the dream. And then pretty quickly, you'd hand over to the junior, much mm. less experienced, much less supported mm. people to just kind of do the work and not really deliver the dream. And that was the bit that I fell out of, of love with that kind of account exec, account manager, account mm. director, and then associate or director, whatever the levels may be. And then in a in a subsequent role, when I was running a tech practice, I would go in and see clients maybe every three months. I would have a two hour meeting with them. I would try and deliver some value. I would apologize that I hadn't seen them uh, enough previously. We'd have hopefully a good meeting where they'd feel good about things and we'd feel inspired and heading in the right direction. I'd end the meeting by saying, oh, we must not leave it so long, hmm. knowing full well that I wasn't going to see them for another three months. Interesting. And that's the model that I just, yeah. I, I didn't feel like I could uh, genuinely deliver that and and um well it wasn't i couldn't sleep at night but it mm. it, it just didn't, didn't feel sit well better. yeah it didn't sit well absolutely mm. really interesting and you know i think subsequently um lots of smart agencies have adapted that model to say you don't just get introduced to the senior people and then left with the junior folks and you know junior folks are incredibly important in any mm. team um they're ambitious know. they're creative they're all yeah. the rest of it right jaded <laughs> fresh, sure. you, know, yeah. you know in a world where i saw the growth of social media suddenly the junior and the younger folks are like sure. really, really important yeah. um but you can't just have a team of junior people that don't have the right experience mm. um, you have to have the right blend and you can't have a team where you only get access to the senior most experienced people every few months um and then the hope is that you get something good from that that will last for the next few months hmm. so how do you ensure that against that now that your client side and you're working with a number of agencies presumably you hire a number of agencies you've you worked with a number of agencies over the years how do you ensure against them coming in and pitching with the a team but then delivering with the b c or even d team in some instances i don't think you can ensure it but they don't last very long if that's what you get um you know, I think that um, I was thinking after our, our pre-discussion, look, it, it is really important for people client side to invest in relationships and not just assume that you'll get the best out of an agency because you pay them good money and you deserve it. Um, yes, those things are true, but you really have to invest into the in, in the relationship to make it work. So um, if there are expectations that I have about engaging with certain people with the senior people with the people that i felt were um selling that dream at the beginning mm. then it's as much my responsibility to make that happen as it is to just expect that it will happen um i'll give you an example we you know <laughs> we've dramatically shifted our focus over the last few weeks because of the current situation the covid19 crisis and and we we didn't quite rip up our pr plans but not far from it mm. we've re-evaluated what we're doing um i convened we have uh, three major agencies that three core agencies that work with us i convened a group of the senior folks from each, each of those agencies to say we need your help now is the time that we need your your guidance your strategy your insights your experience more than ever of course we want to keep working with your core team we will have you know, we, we called it a, a senior leadership team check-in. You know, it sounds very kind of dramatic and that's not to exclude junior folks, but it's just to say at this time, we need you more than ever. Mm. No one came to me and said, we think we should do that. And, and neither did I wait for it to happen. You have to, you have to manage those situations. Um, 
if you're the kind of client that looks at that and says, well, I'm not getting the senior support that I need and I'm just going to get pissed off about it, then you'll just continue to be pissed off. You know, you need to affect that change as well. Hmm. Super interesting. Just on the COVID-19 situation, there, there are so many agencies that I'm speaking to right now who are sort of unsure how to be speaking to their clients, how to be managing them uh, in this situation, because A, they don't want to be seen as opportunistic. They don't want their clients to be seen as opportunistic by sort of taking advantage of the situation uh, or even seeming tone deaf in their communications. But there is an opportunity right now to speak to your audience, engage with your audience. I think uh, a lot of your customers and prospects would be looking to you for right now for uh you know how are you going to be communicating to them and sort of just a reassuring ear how do you how do you make sure that you're not coming across opportunistic you're not seeming tone deaf but you still need to communicate you still need to engage your audience you still need to add value to them how are you thinking about how you're managing the covid-19 situation at the moment uh really 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 carefully uh, and it's constantly evolving uh, as the I think we go through phases and, and um, as I said I kind of I, I rewrote the PR plan that there was um, I think this was about four or five weeks ago where there was a Monday uh, where there was a briefing from the government and it was I can't remember if it was as the lockdown was being announced or if it was getting close it might have been the week before mm. and I remember on the Monday thinking we can't do anything. I mean, we literally have to just down tools and we can't do anything um, because everything we planned was, you know, whether it was events or some research we were about to launch that was now not, um, not, not appropriate or not, um, not going to be listened to. Uh, and we just needed to stop and check what we were doing. And I sort of that Monday, I remember thinking, okay, there's, there's nothing we can do. Uh, I didn't sleep very much that night. And then the Tuesday morning, uh, I uh, kind of wrote in my head a, a plan while I was in the shower and then uh, got up, got dressed, uh, and then wrote it on paper, wrote a document that said, well, what can we do? Because it's changed dramatically. Um, we recognized that actually the most important audience was employees hmm. uh, and existing customers. It wasn't prospects it wasn't uh, those companies that might want our services and our technology in the future mm. um, I think that we're in a good place in that we're a technology provider and we have um, offerings and solutions that can really help companies during mm -hmm. this time mm -hmm. but but we absolutely cannot come across as opportunistic we should be um, informative we should be guiding people we should be uh, sharing best practice we can't be promotional um, I think it was good that we stopped um, and we didn't do anything for a week or so. And we just kind of re-evaluated exactly where we were. Um, and we also, uh, we looked at these different phases that we were going to go through. Phase mm. one was the kind of, oh my God phase. Like, this is really serious. Mm. Uh, this is very scary. Mm. Uh, people are concerned for themselves, for their health, for their families, their loved ones, for their jobs, for the economy, for all sorts of things. Um, that was phase one and it was right and proper that actually we probably shut our mouths during phase one. I think we're in phase two now, hmm. which is a little calmer, um, a little bit more uh, new normal, which everyone keeps referring to. Mm -hmm. um, an extended period of, do you know what, it's going to be like this for a while. Okay. Better get used to it. Hmm. And we are going to be stuck in our homes. We are going to be working in a different way. Uh, we're going to be... Um, you know, kind of getting through this together and there's a different tone and a different conversation you can have during that phase interesting and then phase three and look there are many more but this is a kind of a simplistic way of sure. looking at phase three is at some point we'll return to some kind of normality whatever that looks like hmm. um, we are a long way away from that the we definitely shouldn't talk about that yet but at some stage we should talk about that you know we've been through this massive experience together what have we learned what should we do differently hmm. um one of the things that I'm fascinated in uh, and that we do have a voice uh, a voice about is is how people work and the role that technology plays with that. 
So people have talked about new ways of working for a long time. Um, should we continue to go into offices as we've always done? Should we spend so much time and money commuting all day, every day? You know, sometimes two hours each way to get to this dumb container, which is the office, to do our work. When actually mm. we've proven, a lot of us have proven, mm. again, that some haven't, a lot of us have proven that we can work really effectively from, I'm in my bedroom at the moment. That's mm. become my office. Mm. You know, I've got my nice bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're seeing the good bit. I like <laughs> right. the, the, you said the, it. The window that is the Skype call is the this mess over there. Right. Okay. Um, you know, so uh, we should be asking ourselves questions, and and as we go from kind of phase two to phase three, we should be asking the questions, which is two things. Number one is what should we do differently, um, and how do we avoid just going back to that way of working that we had before? We're a tech company, but we can talk about those things. Um, how do we avoid just reverting back to old habits? People are really bad at, at changing. And when this is over, the temptation will be get, to go, okay, back on the tube, back on the buses, mm. back to the office. You know, you've got to be in by nine. You've mm. got to stay till five, six o'clock. You don't see your kids as much. Mm. Like, I'm loving seeing my kids mm. all the time. Mm -hmm. you know, that I, I take a five minute break to go and make a cup of coffee. My days are absolutely slammed at the moment but again mm. make a cup of coffee and my kids are there mm. like that's a that's Beautiful. a real gift yeah right it really is um and and then the second question we should ask is how do we make sure that if something like this happens again we're more prepared mm. and again the role that technology plays within that so those are the kind of conversations i think we'll be having as we move from phase two to phase three mm. it means that the comms is constantly evolving so if we're in phase one or moving from phase one to phase two, then your comm strategy is very different to if we're moving from that normal new normal to a return to kind of old ways of doing things, then the comms changes as well. Mm. That's the lens that we're looking through. Um, you know, we're very mindful that, uh, as I said, employees are a massively, massively important audience for us. We'll be experiencing very different things. Sure. A lot of time, giving some guidance and working very closely with HR. Let's give some guidance to to people that have young kids at home that are struggling to to work and, you know, educate their children and keep them calm. Then we've given some guidance on what about those people who have elderly relatives at home and how are they coping with that? I have mm -hmm. a friend who is properly self-isolating because his brother-in-law had a kidney transplant recently. So their world is very different to mine. Sure. I, can, I can go out a bit more. Sure. We started thinking about how do we give guidance to those people that don't have any relatives, that they're completely on their own, that, you know, they may get their 30 minutes a day to go and get some air. They might be living in a block of flats. They might not have a garden. How do we help those people? That's a very different kind of comms plan mm. than the one that we had four weeks ago. Mm. Super interesting. And are you relying on your agencies to be proactive in coming to you with these ideas? Because none of us have been in this situation before. It, you know, we had it sort of thrust upon us, um, came out of the blue. I think you said a moment ago that you were proactive in approaching your agency to sit down to create that comms plan as to what the three phases need to be over what period of time. What would you have preferred? Would you have preferred your agencies to be proactive and come to you with ideas for, hey, I think this is the way that we should be looking at thinking about this or... Is it your responsibility as the director of communications in PR to brief your agency and sort of guide them as to the way that you should be thinking? Um, so the the kind of the typical PR answer is that it's a bit of both. Um, uh, I rely on our agency teams to to kind of give us insights and guidance. Um, they will rely on me to to kind of give them direction and um, you know a perspective based on what our current needs are. I know the business uh, and the business requirements better than they do. They know the outside world through other client experiences, through media relationships much better than I do. So the combination of those two are really important. And, and we're an extended team where, um, you know, it's not just client and agency. We're, we're kind of all in this together. Um, I'm definitely relying on agencies to say this is what we're seeing from others. Mm -hmm. um, you know, where are companies making mistakes 
uh, and there have been some very high profile mistakes made by certain companies in the UK and, and beyond. Uh, Sports Direct claiming that they were um, an urgent service uh, because people needed to do exercise at home and needed keep fit equipment. Horrible. Just insane. Um, so knowing that, recognizing and understanding where others have made mistakes, because mm. when you were saying earlier about avoiding being opportunistic, um, promotional, ambulance chasing, all of mm. that kind of stuff is so important. Mm. You can really destroy a brand through this time if you if you mess up. Mm. Um, where have other clients done things that are really smart, that are thoughtful and have been well received? And how can we replicate that? And, and in in all times, we need that from our agency teams as well. Mm. Those insights that show best practice for communications that that really show, you know, one of the one of the things that I think uh, gives us really good value from our agencies is is their experience of working with other companies as well, um, because they're not doing this for the first time, and the, you know, most of their great consultancy will be based on what they've done before. So it's it's definitely a combination, uh, and and I think um, you know understanding when is the right time to speak to certain media is really critical as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some media that we just can't and shouldn't talk to at the moment because they're entirely focused elsewhere. Look, media teams are um, very thin at the moment. Uh, some journalists are losing their jobs. Uh, there are teams that may be struggling because they've got people that are either ill or self-isolating or unable to do um, their work in the way that they were expected to. There are people that are covering different and new beats because the world is a different place. So us going with a, hey, we've got a new product that's terribly interesting. Sure. At the moment is like yeah. the worst thing to do. Suicide. There are also some journalists saying, give us some non-COVID-19 stories, please. Interesting. You're trying to cover other things as well. We don't want to all become coronavirus publications. Mm. So there's a, a role that we can play there as well. That's super interesting because so is your sense that, and I'm asking you to sort of uh, measure the mood of the nation at the moment, but is your <laughs> sense that we're, we're sort of becoming fatigued with coronavirus news and content? Or you only have to look at your LinkedIn feed or your Twitter feed or any sort of social media to know that, everyone is creating content and talking about coronavirus and that was acceptable in maybe week one week two week three but now as we come into this new normal as you as you mentioned earlier is there a risk that people are just like okay i'm over it now this is the new normal let's roll up our sleeves and sort of get on with it so in that context we need to create different sorts of content and communications to engage a a new sort of audience in a different phase to, to a degree, I, I agree. I mean, I, I'm not sure if people are fatigued because, but there's only so much information they can take in. Um, personally, I limit the amount that I, uh, of time I spend watching the news. Um, you know, I'll kind of the, the five o'clock briefing or the 10 o'clock news, you know, I'll kind of, I'll watch every day, but I can't do it every hour. Um, it becomes too much and I need a bit of an escape for that. And I don't think I'm necessarily alone. Mm. I think people are definitely not necessarily fatigued with, uh, with content that refers to the current crisis, but they are certainly, they have a very low tolerance for things that are claiming to be uh, associated with it or a solution to it. Uh, people are seeing through that very quickly. Mm. Um, and, uh, I saw a report last week, which was uh, claimed to be the COVID-19 productivity report. And and it was just, and actually I was, I couldn't work out if I was more frustrated that a company had done that or that it had got written up mm. um, and, the, and the people thought that that was yeah. worthy. Sure. Um, a few weeks ago when the, when the crisis first broke, I know that a lot of journalists were uh, talking to each other to call out bad behavioral companies mm-hmm. that were claiming to have a COVID-19 response. Um, and that was one of the reasons that that we we wanted to take a breath. We wanted to think really carefully. And actually, the other strategy that we've got in at the moment, and we always do this, but it's it's even more intense, is double, triple, quadruple checking 
everything and sanity mm. checking everything. Mm. So whether it's a tweet that we're about to put out or whether it is a headline for an announcement or the way that we're phrasing something in an mm. opinion article, I'm checking it with more people than I ever would because if one of them says, ah, do you know mm. what? Doesn't I'm feel not, right. Yeah. Right? Then I want to hear that. Normally I would check it with one or two people or we would kind of, a group would work on something and, and we'd agree and, we'd, and it would go out. But I'm now checking it with other people to say, is there anything in this that you think could be taken the wrong way because we we want to avoid that sure. hyper, hyper-sensitive situation um, and not just because we want to protect ourselves but because we want to do the right thing. Mm. We want to come across well. We want to be helpful. And if we're not being helpful, then shut up. Mm. Like, don't talk. Super fascinating. L- let's talk a little bit about NextThink. One of the reasons why we wanted to sort of get you on the show is because of your extensive experience with uh, Dropbox and Microsoft. I think with Dropbox, you were really in- instrumental in sort of helping build the brand and transition them from sort of just a storage company to more of a collaboration company. And, and um, you you had um, uh, you also were very in- instrumental at Microsoft as well. So I'm really interested in your experience around building brands uh, and creating and communicating value to a customer base over a period of time. And that really brings us on to sort of next thing, because you joined in 2019 as the global director of PR and communications. What problems does next think uh, solve for your customers and how are you communicating those challenges in this in, in this environment? Uh, so Dropbox and Microsoft, I, I was there. I'm not sure if I was instrumental, but I was definitely there. I was <laughs> right. <with them. laughs> um, I'm giving you a bit too, too much credit there. Yeah, no, I, I, this is good for my ego. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if anyone's listening, I just want to uh, be genuine as well. Sure. Um, so next thing is, is really interesting. Um, and it, it, we always used to have a joke when I was an agency uh, that the, the the latest client was the best kept secret in dot dot dot, and and we are the best kept secret in um, in in how people engage with technology in the workforce. The challenge we've got is is I guess twofold. Number one is um, few people have heard of us. Um, we're a sort of lesser known entity, having worked for Microsoft. And pretty much most people on the planet know of Microsoft, um, whether that's a good or a bad reaction. And, mm-hmm. and Dropbox, you know, when I told people I was working at Dropbox, the first reaction I would always get is a smile. Mm. Uh, at NextThink, uh, people sort of repeat the name uh, and don't really know how it's spelt mm. and, and certainly don't know what we do. Um, our world is around digital employee experience which doesn't sound massively sexy, but the dinner party conversation is that most people in the workplace struggle with technology. Uh, It's a blocker. It's an obstacle. It slows them down. Uh, Their experience with technology is not generally a positive one. And that tech, especially at work and, and in our lives as well, was supposed to empower us. It's supposed to free us, make us better, uh, lift us up and enable us to do all these sorts of things, uh, all, all the things that, that we want to do that we couldn't previously do. And actually, often it gets in the way. Um, it doesn't work properly. Uh, and we have a technology that identifies what the experience is, is for employees and will fix it sometimes automatically, sometimes by engaging with the employee, but it will make those problems go away. So if I give you an example of Outlook keeps crashing, if it crashes once or twice, you'll restart it. Uh, if it keeps happening, you might reboot your laptop. Uh, if it keeps happening, you'll get a bit annoyed uh, and you might send a ticket into IT. And by the time it's fixed, um, it's probably taken a few weeks. Hmm. Uh, and it slowed you down. And your relationship with, with IT is not good. And it's frustrated you. And it's stopping you being productive is probably annoying you and your whole kind of engagement with with your working environment is negatively impacted. Imagine a world where actually a technology uh, can fix that problem, uh, recognize it at the first sign of the problem, tell you that it's been fixed and just let you get on with, uh, with what you were meant to be doing. Hmm. Um, that would be a better world and that, that's what we're, we're doing. 
uh, that's a kind of it takes five minutes to explain what we're all about. Mm. Uh, and the snappy line is with the global leaders and digital employee experience, mm. um, but trying to convince people that they should really care about digital employee experience. It's a kind of, you know, if you have a good experience, then great. You don't need to worry about it. If you have a bad experience, then you're frustrated. Uh, so we're trying to define this category, which is a, a, a challenging thing to do. Mm. Um, and we are trying to elevate the role of technology and employee experience generally um, up to a higher level. So employee experience, if you think about your working environment, the main things probably are people and place. Um, so who you work with, your manager, your how, how, uh, how people engage with you, your working environment, do you have a nice office, which is you know, particularly challenging at this time, even to the extent that companies, you know, the San Francisco, and I worked at Dropbox, the San Francisco stereotype is these amazing in-house restaurants that are completely free, the finest coffee that you could ever want. Hmm. Um, if your technology experience is negative, then it doesn't matter how well you're managed, how good the culture is, how lovely the office environment is mm. you still will have a negative impact on your experience so what we're arguing is that the technology piece is very underrated um, it needs to be it's not more important than the other two but it needs to be considered more and uh and and that without that the experience that employees have is going to suffer a few years ago i think some very smart people realized that customer satisfaction and a sort of a score around their satisfaction levels for customers wasn't enough. And they looked more holistically about what's the whole experience for customers. And then a couple of years later, some very smart people realized, well, if that's the, if that's true for customers, then it's probably true for, for employees as well. Hmm. And actually to make the knock on effect, if you've got good employee experience, you're more likely to deliver a better customer experience. So all of that is a kind of a really long story that we're trying to tell and we are a really important part of it. You know, there are very big companies that are starting to move much more into digital employee experience space hmm. um, and uh, who do much, much bigger things and are recognizing the value. And, and it's it's uh, the core of what we do. So it's very interesting. It's actually it's all about people, which is what's always fascinated me with, mm -hmm. with technology. I've been in tech PR for many years and it's never it's never really been about the tech it's always been about people that using the technology and how how it can kind of uh enable people to work better or improve society or mm. enable better communications mm. um but it's you know it's it's a it's not an easy challenge when i pick up the phone to a journalist and say i'm from microsoft or i'm from dropbox sure an easier beginning of a conversation sure and I'm from Nextlink and we're the global leaders in digital employee experience. And it's a kind of, okay, you've got about eight seconds to explain why I should <laughs> sure. be interested in that. Really makes, makes a lot of sense. So creating a category from scratch, defining that and taking it to market, I assume is a, is a very, uh, it's, it's challenging, uh, sort of situation that you're in. Um, and I would assume that you've never really had to, you've never been in that position before working at, global brands, uh, market leading brands such as Microsoft and, and Dropbox, how are agencies helping you define that, create that category and then communicate that to, to the market? One of the questions I had on this is also for, for the brands that, try, that have tried to create a category before that have been the first to try to create a category, it's the second and third, it's the followers that usually have a lot of success because the brand that initially created the category uh, has done a lot of the heavy lifting and a lot of the legwork. What danger is there that you, you spend a lot of time, effort and money and resource creating this category and the followers in the market actually uh, sort of piggyback on your, on your coattails and uh, after a lot of the heavy lifting that you've already done? So I think there are a couple of things that are happening. Number number one is that the category creation work is actually a, a much broader marketing effort and, and certainly not coming from comms. Um, but we're, we're a part of it. I think the role that comms can play is 
the uh, the prove it. The okay, you know, we, we've got this sort of um, there's a whole bunch of work that's been done around what is digital employee experience, why is it important? Um, it's up to us to to kind of make the case uh, to to prove that customers are. Um, buying this from you and have a need for it to prove that there is a problem in the market that you're trying to solve. Um, we're about to launch some research. Uh, we were about to launch it a few weeks ago and then everything erupted, so sure. delayed it. But we're putting some research out next week that looks at the disconnect between the delivery of IT. So IT departments deliver tools and services to employees and the consumption of IT, which is how the employees are using that technology. Mm. And the research looks at the disconnect between the two. Um, the IT team will say, well, all the lights are green, everything seems to be working, but the employees will say, I still have a bad experience. Mm. So how do you prove that there is a problem um, that needs to be solved? Uh, and, I, you know, I don't think we are necessarily creating a new category and then starting from scratch we've been around for um 15 years and the company has evolved and you know we're a kind of a scale up rather than a startup hmm. i don't think we're creating something new and then the risk is that others will just execute better than us i think we are redefining what we're doing and what we've always done for uh, a a time where the need is really important. Hmm. So well, actually what's happened with the current crisis is, um, you know, the experience that, that employees have within organizations with their technology when they're all in the office sucks to a certain degree. M multiply that by a hundred times or more because none of us are in the office. So sure. we have a a customer recently say that they they went from having uh, eight offices that they had to look after everyone in those eight offices and and manage the IT to over two thousand because everyone's now working from their own offices. That's a very different challenge. Hmm. It doesn't mean that everything is uh, ripped up. It means that it's a more extreme version of the problem that you were trying to solve previously. So. Without being opportunistic, I think there is a, uh, a, a an opportunity, a chance <laughs> for us sure. to, to to explain the current climate as an extreme version of actually what everyone had been experiencing for a while. Hmm. Um, and you know, there's um, the more that we as the comms function can help define the problem and then articulate how we are a solution. I know that sounds really basic, but if you're a solution and people don't know what the problem is, then, you know, that's a, that's a yeah, really tough sell. Sure. So you need to articulate the problem initial, first. Absolutely. We'll take yeah. that initial category creation work and, and mm. we will spend a lot of time saying, okay, well, let's prove this. Mm. Let's, let's, you know, develop the arguments around it. Let's develop the positioning and the perspectives. Let's do some, I'm never a fan of crystal ball gazing, but mm but you can make some assumptions about the future and you can certainly ask some questions about, you know, as I said earlier, the change that we've gone through recently, what does that mean for how organizations are going to manage their workforces in the future and how IT is going to play a role within that? Hmm. So those are the questions that we're going to ask and that massively plays into the digital experiences that employees will, will have. Hmm. You mentioned earlier that you work with agencies as more of a sort of a collaborative team. Um, how are you, talk a little bit about how you're working with agencies to help you define that problem and prove that there is a problem in the market that uh, organizations should be spending money on to solve, to solve it. What sorts of agencies are you working with and how are they helping you solve that problem? So, we have uh, a US agency and a UK agency that are kind of our, an extension of our team. They're, they're more of our arms and legs that will, you know, we, we have an internal team of, of just two people at the moment. Um, and and it, in the current climate, having a, uh, a lean team is, is, is a good thing. Sure. 
Uh, and we're relying on our agencies to help, you know, write some of the content, to pitch stories, to engage with the media, to uh, to, to not just reach out to the media, but also listen to what the media um, are asking for, are talking about, and, and where we may be able to engage with that. We also have uh, another agency that we work with, um, which is more of a kind of virtual PR agency that I've worked with for a number of years. I, I worked with them at Microsoft, at Dropbox, and, and now at Nextlink. Um, and I, I like to kind of describe them almost as a sort of minister without portfolio. So uh, maybe once a month, we'll look at just what needs doing. So they helped with some of the rewriting of the PR plan because you know, a month ago, it looked very different to what we're doing now. They often help with our messaging. Um, we're doing some media training work with them. They are uh, doing a whole bunch of different things. So um, very often, you know, I mean, like, like the, the, the biggest risk or the biggest challenge that I've got is that there's a whole bunch of stuff in my head that I just don't have the time or the energy or the ability or the resources sure. to get out. So the more that I can share my challenges and the pains that we are going through with other really smart people that I trust and I know that can deliver, the the better we'll be and the more relaxed I'll be and actually the more challenged I'll be as well mm -hmm. because you don't have a conversation with yourself and then come up with a best solution. Sure. You have a conversation with other people who challenge you and say, yeah. well, what about doing it this way? You know, the best brainstorms start with really terrible ideas, mm. but then morph into some good ideas. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, relying on uh, uh, on people both internally and externally who are who are understanding the challenges that we've got. Um, I had a colleague when I was at Microsoft who often used to talk about agencies should walk a mile in our shoes. I should really not just try and decide what they think we need, but try and understand the challenges that we're facing and that might be how do we communicate as a business it might be how do we report back into the business about the role of pr and comms mm. and how we're delivering so i'm a big um i'm not a fan of of justifying our existence internally but i'm a big fan of uh, pr in the pr of of demonstrating where we're delivering value so that we're arming sales and marketing and others with the results that we're generating you can't just assume that the articles that we secure are going to get read you mm. have to feed that back into the business mm. so how we are pring the pr which is a horrible phrase but i can't think of a better way of explaining it is, sure. is also really important yeah so you know and that that's um that takes a whole village to do that that's mm. not just individuals that can do that on their own and and having been uh, the sole PR person within the organization for the first six months uh, last year. And then uh, I brought someone in who's who's running comms in, in the US and she's really smart, really great. And, and, the, and the relationship that we're building is that we kind of feed off each other and we challenge each other. And certainly the best people that I've ever worked with mm. aren't the ones that say, right, what do I do next? They're the ones that say, okay, this is what we're doing. Sure push me as much as I push them. Mm. Do you have that, a... Sorry, and I was just going to say that that goes for external people as well. Hmm. You know, that's not just... Those agencies that say, right, what should we do next won't last very long. Super interesting. So they need to be proactive uh, to come to you with ideas and strategies as to how they think you should be best moving forward. Super, super fascinating. Do you have a, a view on whether you would prefer to work with a large integrated agency that have lots of service offerings under one roof, or do you prefer to work with those smaller, more nimble specialist agencies that are excellent at one thing and working with a number of those sorts of specialists? Uh, I don't really view it that way. Um, I like to work with agencies that really get us and where the chemistry is good. And, and certainly in all the agency reviews and pitches that I've done, it, it always comes down to relationships and chemistry. And, you know, where those relationships go sour is, is often where, you know, good people move on and, and they're not necessarily replaced in the right way. Um, 
I think that there is for a company like us, uh, we don't want to get lost and be any agency's smallest client. Mm -hmm. But equally, I don't I don't really ever want to be the biggest client either. Um, I think an ideal would be, you know, depending on the budget that you've got, maybe in the top three or the top five, because then you get a lot of attention. Um, but also it's a it's a kind of it's a good balance. Hmm. Um, but it's definitely about it's about the relationship and, and services can be brought in. Um, you know, I think most agencies will will be multi-service, multifunctional, um, will have at least access to people that can do other things as well. Um, you know, I think that I wouldn't ever just go for a, an agency that that only did one thing, but I also wouldn't expect them to do everything. Hmm. Super, super fascinating. The the other question that I had was around giving feedback. This is a question that I get a lot from agencies because it's a it's a big issue and concern that they have around clients not really giving them feedback in the right way or timely enough for them to make decisions. So, and clients typically have very different communication styles. If they're unhappy with something, some clients tell an agency straight away, uh, giving the agency a, a sort of time to. Uh, deal with it. Other agencies take a little bit longer. I think most agencies would like to know quite early so that they can uh, sort of deal with this situation. What's your approach to communicating something that you're unhappy with with your agency? So I, I think this is such a fundamental issue. Um, and I, I'll start with the fact that I'm quite non-confrontational. I'm not sure my wife would agree, but... <laughs> Certainly in kind of business environments, I'm, I try and be non-confrontational because, you know, I don't want to upset people. I don't want to. Um, I think it's as as much our responsibility to drive people hard as it is to motivate and inspire them. So it's both carrot and stick, which mm -hmm. is really important. Um, having been agency side, uh, I don't want to be constantly criticized but I also don't want to not be told if something's not quite working. So mm. I think you need to get that balance right. And I feel like I've said balance a lot throughout this discussion. Um, look, I mean, you also, uh, there's the stereotypical shit sandwich, which is you start with something positive, you give them the kind of the, the harsh feedback in the middle, and then you end with something positive. And I think that can be a little too transparent sometimes as well. So, you know, you want to be, honest and open without being overly critical. I think current climate is, I need to be very, very sensitive to the fact that uh, our agency teams are struggling with a new way of working as well. One of the benefits we have from having agencies is that they kind of sit together. They talk across desks at each other all the time. They, you know, have lunch together. They um, do do all sorts of things where about those those kind of water cooler conversations that they're not having at the moment and i need to be mindful that that is a current dynamic but at the same time you know the if something's not working then we need to give that feedback because if it continues to not work for long enough and it becomes normal then that's when it's either accepted um and doesn't doesn't get fixed uh, and that's not fair on the agency as well so not giving feedback i think is less fair than than uh, maybe being too critical hmm. super super interesting uh nick last question before we get into our favorite questions at the end of the uh, interview our more uh, sort of exciting questions um although brands appreciate that unique skills are really required to manage their agency they don't typically think about agency management as a distinct discipline that they need to really build into their organization. The thinking is almost, you know, how hard could it be? Shouldn't agencies manage themselves anyway to serve the needs of my business? We're already paying them to be self-reliant and motivated. How do you think about that? Yeah, and I think this covers uh, some of the stuff we talked about already, which is, it is absolutely my responsibility and, and people in my team's responsibility to manage those relationships in a positive way. There's the carrot and the stick that we talked about. Like you drive people hard because you want to get value for, for the often very big money that you're spending. 
but also you need to inspire people. You can't just wag your finger and shout and scream and demand. You have to inspire. Um, I have, I, I know that in previous roles, I have been an agency's best client and I've been an agency's worst client. Um, and when you're an agency's worst client, uh, people are not motivated and inspired. Mm. They are frustrated. Mm. Um, often it means that the relationship is, uh, breaking down or might have broken down already. Mm. Uh, it would mean that I'm frustrated. I'm making demands that I don't think are being, uh, I don't think the agency is delivering and I'm come across as being difficult. Mm. Um, that's a really bad place to be. Hmm. Uh, and, and I've also been in a, in a place where people have, have been fighting to try and join the team, have been uh, people outside the agency team have been asking if they can work on, on my account because it's working really well. And that's a much, much better place to be. And it's kind of stating the obvious. Um, it's, uh, you know, I've always told people that I've managed that them managing the agency is a really important discipline. Hmm. Um, and uh, when an agency, I remember an old boss saying to me once when, when I was um, very frustrated with an agency and, it, and it's haunted me for a long time. Uh, I was saying I thought I thought we needed to do a review. I think we need to move on. And his words were exactly word for word. He said, I just need to work out if the problem is with the agency or with your management of the agency. Ooh, interesting. And I was really stuck because it then meant, and I don't know how how calculating this one it, well, this was, but it then meant that if I ever went to him with a problem, yeah. it was it was through the lens of is this me not managing the properly sure. or the agency? Interesting. So it was much more for me to try and fix it. Hmm. Um, but it is my responsibility to make sure that. Uh, that anyone I manage is, is working out well. And there might be a point when you've done everything you possibly can do, or you've done anything that everything that is reasonable, but just a kind of, it's not working now, we'll try different ways. You know, maybe that's a different conversation with certain people. Maybe that's a, maybe there's not enough clarity. Maybe there's a lack of direction. Maybe mm. there's, um, something that's not working. You know, I'd, I've definitely encouraged people in my team to go and spend time within the agency's offices, um, work from their offices for a while. Difficult at the moment, um, but get to know them. Go and take uh, the account lead out for lunch and we'll pay. You know, often the yeah. agencies do the kind of the client service, client hospitality stuff, but we'll pay for lunch. Hmm. And, and, and like, like work on that relationship. Um, because it's not a one-way thing, mm. and those clients that think it's a one-way thing will not get what they uh, what they need. Absolutely fascinating, Nick. We're just getting towards the back end of the interview now. Let's get into our speed round where I'll fire some questions at you. If you can fire some short, sharp answers back, that would be fantastic. Um, Less sorry. Less of a boast. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so. Let's start with some of the fun questions first. Which CMO, in your opinion, has the most difficult job right now? Based on what you said about Sports Direct, it might be the CMO of Sports Direct. But yeah, yeah, which CMO? Yeah, I, 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 well, that was definitely the example I was thinking of. But I also I think that um, there are some industries that have just. I'm in a working in tech at the moment. Sorry, this was supposed to be a short answer. Tech can provide some solutions in the right places during this period. I think that uh, entertainment, hospitality, mm. travel, tourism, mm. I just, I don't know, I feel for those guys. And mm. I think that must be so tough. Mm. So the, you know, we all pray that this is as, as short a period as possible so that they can start their journey to recovery. Which brand is doing the best, in your opinion, right now from, an, from a communication standpoint? Um... I need to spend more time looking at what other brands are doing. Okay. Uh, I keep my eyes on Microsoft because I used to work there. I think they're, they're doing some really smart stuff. They have some amazing technology. I think that they are, um, doing stuff with, with AI to try and come up with some proper solutions to some very big problems. I think they're being very supportive to, uh, industries like healthcare and education, uh, by giving, products away and they're not it's not just a kind of three-month promotion this is a proper we're giving it away 
you know, we recognize. Um, and I think those brands that are being, you know, just really supportive that for those that really need it are, mm. are the best job. And I know that he's not part of the organization anymore, but, and Bill Gates is, mm. is pretty quiet, but him calling out, uh, Trump for, for stopping funding to the WHO at the moment mm. when they need it so mm. much I thought was, you know, the world stops and listens when, mm. uh, Bill Gates tweets. Sasha Nadella is obviously CEO of Microsoft now, and uh, they've had their troubles with um, the former CEO, I can't remember his name, the very loud uh, gentleman, I forgot his name now, but how much of a shadow does Bill Gates still cast over Microsoft, and how much of his culture is still intertwined with the way that the company communicates and thinks and acts now? Uh, I left a few years ago. Um, so Steve Ballmer was the last Steve CEO, uh, and he was a uh, quite a character. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, I joined Microsoft literally as Bill Gates was, uh, leaving. He was still on the board, uh, but he was leaving. And, and, uh, the joke that I was telling was that he knew that I was arriving. So everything was, <laughs> um, and that few, thank God. Yeah, Nick, Nick's here. Exactly. Well, while I was there, I mean, he, Bill Gates was, you know, obviously the history of the company, but he wasn't the, the, the then present. Um, he sort of, uh, there were stories and he was legendary, but, um, he was very much focused on the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation and on, you know, uh, trying to cure some, very, very big world problems with, with the fortune that he'd made. So uh, I think he's more part of the history rather than still casting a shadow. But, but I'm, you know, I've been out of the business for a few years now. Huh. Really interesting. What annoys you about working with agencies and what do you absolutely love about working with agencies? Um, I, uh, what annoys me, um, like little things, uh, missing a deadline, um, making me chase for things. Mm. Deadlines uh, can be renegotiated, uh, but not after the deadline has passed. Mm. Uh, and if I'm chasing a deadline, it means that I'm already annoyed. Mm. What do I love? Um, I love. Uh, so there was an agency relationship I was trying to fix fix a few years ago, um, where we said that we wanted to be more surprised and more delighted. And unfortunately, we were neither surprised or delighted. <laughs> Um, but if I'm ever surprised in a way that makes me think, oh, wow, like I hadn't thought of that. People thinking of things before I have mm. delights me and surprises me. Mm. Uh, and, it, and if it's related to challenges that that we're facing, then that's gold. We all hit a low point uh, from time to time, especially in these crazy times that we're in right now. How do you motivate yourself at low points? I'm not sure I do. Uh, I think I stop. Um, I uh, need to be fitter and healthier. Um, and uh, swimming helps. Can't do that at the moment. True. Uh, my son ridiculously bought an exercise bike last year and never used it. It was uh, where he hung his clothes. And now <laughs> it was the smartest, smartest purchase he ever made because we're all cashing in on the exercise Smart. bike. I think he's going to claim some uh, contribution, uh, <laughs> uh, but sitting on the bike and um, watching something on Netflix, Netflix and escaping okay. uh, is, is how I kind of, you know, wind down. Netflix and exercise. It's a bit of a new, <laughs> kind of new phrase <laughs> better, there. Better than the other one. Right. Um, final, final couple of questions. What, yeah. uh, what's the single biggest thing that you're working towards that you haven't yet achieved in your career? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, again, my wife gets frustrated that I've never had a two year or a five year or a 10 year plan. Uh, I find that quite scary. So I, I've never had that. Um, there are, th uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I maybe it's, um, maybe it's, uh, an award, Hmm. an industry award and i've got one um uh actually I've, there are a couple but but one's less significant but i've got one and that was a real highlight of my career and it was kind of black tie do in paris in a convention center near notre dame and hmm. it was amazing and we won 
uh, a big award and, and that was great. Uh, I, I think recognition for something that's really different hmm. would be great. And I often uh, challenge and motivate my team and my agency teams, um, you know, think about what awards we should go for, because I think that they are less valuable to impress other people and they're more valuable to motivate and inspire people that um, have worked on something and, uh, you know, should get recognized for the work that they've done. Hmm. Great place to end. Nick Morris, thank you for being on Client Side. It's been a pleasure, as they say, at the end of Desert Island Disc. It's been an <laughs> honor, so thank you very much. <laughs> if you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of Client Side, then find us online at fox.agency. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the show, please email millie at fox.agency. The people that make the show possible are Millie Bell and Natasha Rosich, our booker slash researcher. David Clare is our head of content. Ben Fox is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Client Side from Fox Agency. Join us next time on Client Side, brought to you by Fox Agency.